enjoy the morning. shelter in the time of storm secure whatever ill be tied a shelter in the time of storm jesus is a rock in a weary land a weary land a weary land jesus is a rock in a weary land a shelter time of storm a shade by day defense by night a shelter in the time of storm no fears alarm no foes of fright a shelter
God's people said, Amen. Well, it's good to see everybody in the church. What a great spirit in the church this morning. Please reach in the book rack right there in front of you and see if you can find one of the little black folders. And if you can, put your name on it and give it to somebody sitting next to you or around you. And uh, we appreciate that each week. Uh, just a couple of announcements today. First of all, in your Sunday Courier, we've uh, once again put the prayer request forms in there. So please take advantage of those. We bring these out every Wednesday night here at the church. We pray over these things. We believe in prayer. We believe the church should pray together. We do that on Wednesday night here in the church. I just ask you one thing, though. Fill them out completely, okay? Uh, if, you can put a, if you can put your request publicly on a piece of paper like this, just please fill this out completely so that we can follow, follow up and keep it updated, okay? Thank you. Also, inside your Sunday Courier, we have a special note from our missionary in Pakistan. I remember the first time I met these, this couple, I thought they said they're going to Pakistan. I thought I'd misheard them. Uh, I didn't know you could do that. But uh, Randall is, um, you'll see his picture here. Uh, he is from Mexico, but he grew up in San Diego. His wife is from Colorado. Now, he kind of looks like some of the people over there in Pakistan, but she doesn't at all, as you see here in the picture. But uh, they took over a church, and churches are allowed in Pakistan. Actually, having missionaries is legal in Pakistan, if you can believe it. Now, that doesn't make it easy, but there's laws in Pakistan that allow a certain percentage of missionaries in their country. And so he took over a church, who uh, fell in his wife had for ages. And I want you to pray for them. Put this in your prayer material. So and think of them because that is a dangerous part of the world. Let's stand together this morning as our ushers come and we'll receive our morning offering together at this time. We thank you every week for your generosity to the church. It's greatly appreciated. And uh, we try to do our best to use the money that God gives us in a, in a uh, frugal manner. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for your love and uh, for pouring down your blessing upon our church, for providing uh, jobs uh, so that we can have a means of income, Lord. We, we never take this for granted because there are so many people in our country today that are really hurting. We thank you for the jobs you've provided us. We pray that we'll be good stewards of what you've given to us now as we provide an income for your church. We pray that you'll bless each gift and each giver. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated.
Nights. 
song is a theme song of your class, Chuck. This world is not our home. I was on an airplane uh, a few weeks ago, and uh, the whole time I was on the plane, there were two people sitting across the aisle from me talking in sign language. And I was beating myself up the whole time because uh, years ago we had a sign language class at church, and a bunch of us learned sign language. And you know the old saying, if you don't use it, you'll lose it. And I was just kicking myself the whole time because I thought, what an opportunity to share the gospel right here on the plane. And the neat thing about it is the only people that would get it are the people on the other end of the signs. You know, you wouldn't have to preach it to the whole airplane. So I asked Jenny between the service, I said, Jenny, would you teach a class uh, for the church and with sign language and she said yeah I will she said I've been thinking about that so so that'd be great because there's just there's a real need for that let's open our Bibles today to the book of Revelation chapter 1 the vision of the exalted Christ I'd like to read verse number one and then jump down to and start to read with verse number 8. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants, things which must shortly take place. And he sent and signified it by his angels to his servant John. Uh, the Greek word for revelation, as if you were here last week, you got it. It was the Greek word apocalypsis from which we get the English word apocalypse. Uh, the definition in our world has changed uh, with apocalypse. Oftentimes when you hear that, you think, okay, this is the end of the world. Everything that's associated with it is bad. But uh, in its original form here, it's simply, it comes from two words, apo, which means away from, and kalupto, which means the covering, and it means to take away the covering. That's what it means. And so the writer John is on the Isle of Patmos and the Lord says, listen, I'm going to give you something to help the people. That's you and me. To help the people to see who Jesus really is in all of his glory. So the apocalypse of Jesus Christ, which God gave to him to show his servants. We are his servants today things which must shortly take place and he sent and signified by an angel to his servant John God the Father to God the Son to an angel to John who is out there on the Isle of uh, Patmos verse 8 I am Alpha and Omega in my Bible I've written an A above Alpha because Alpha is the first letter of the Greek alphabet and uh, I've written a Z uh, above the word omega because that's the last letter of the Greek alphabet. And so the Lord says, in the beginning I was here and at the end I'll be there too. Uh, 
I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the protos and the eschatos, saying the Lord and who is, who was, and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, both your brother and companion in tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, which is on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I've written in my Bible, Sunday, the Lord's day. And I heard behind me a loud voice and a trumpet saying, I am Alpha and Omega. Again, there we have that term. The first and the last, what you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches, which are in Asia. That's modern day Turkey. To Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Uh, we find here that uh, the Lord says, listen, get a pen, and I want you to start writing a book. And so here we are, couple thousand years removed and we're reading this writing that John wrote. Verse 12 says, I turned to see the voice that spoke with me and having turned I saw seven golden lampstands and in the midst of the lampstands one like the Son of Man, of course that's Christ, clothed with a garment down to his feet and girded about with chest with a golden band. His head and his hair was white like wool and as white as snow and his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass and as if refined in a furnace. And his voice as the sound of many waters, Niagara Falls. He had his right hand seven stars. And out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his hands upon me and said, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last, the protos and the eschatos. I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I'm alive forevermore. Amen. Here he refers to his crucifixion. I am he who lives. I was dead, and behold, I'm alive forevermore. I have the keys of Hades and death. Write the things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which will take place hereafter. And many people believe that this is the divine outline to the book of Revelation right here. The things which he saw, that's the vision. We're going to look at that today. And the things uh, which uh, are now, that's the churches, chapter 2 and chapter 3. And then the things that are going to take place in the future, that's the rest of the book of Revelation. Uh, the mystery of the seven stars which you saw on my right hand, the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are angels of the seven churches. And the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. Wow, what a, what a story. Um, the revelation of Jesus Christ is simply his unveiling. And boy, this, this inspires me this morning. Because when Jesus came into this world, people really didn't know a lot about... God up close and personal because God always kept his distance from the people. He said to Moses, when you go up into the mountain, don't let any of the people even get near the mountain. I just want to talk to you and you alone. So God kept his distance from the people and then all of a sudden God broke through one day and the Bible says in John 1, 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. 
and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Here comes Jesus, and he, and he made this proclamation. He said, I and the Father are one, and if you've seen me, you've seen the Father also. And so people were amazed at the teaching and preaching of Jesus. When they went away from his preaching, they said, this man doesn't preach like the scribes and the Pharisees. He preaches with authority. And when they heard him talk, they said, how did he learn so much? He never went to school, we think. He's just a carpenter. And they were amazed. They were, in, they were wild by the ministry of Jesus. And then when he started casting demons out of people and healing people and all sorts, of, they were in awe of, of who Jesus was. And then uh, when Jesus started to tell his disciples that he was going to die, I think they were down in a ditch. They were in a rut. He took Peter, James, and John up under the Mount of Transfiguration in Matthew chapter 17. And the Bible says he was transfigured before them. He became glorious in their sight. And Peter said, it's good for us to be here, Lord. And so he encouraged them in that way. And so here when we approach the book of Revelation, this is God's encouragement for you and me today. Because sometimes we feel like we're not getting very far. We're not producing very much. And, and I think it is though that God is saying to you and me, okay, you're discouraged. Let me give you the rest of the story. The end of the story. Uh, my sermons to you these few weeks on Sunday morning are only to whet your appetite for the book of Revelation. When I first became serious about serving the Lord, the first book of the Bible that I studied was Revelation. I got me some commentaries and I, I was reading and reading and I couldn't... I, I'm still doing that to this day because I love the book of Revelation. I wanted to know the end of the story. Um, the church was excited about the second coming of Jesus Christ. Of course, they were excited about the first coming. But they were excited about the second coming because for all of the history of the church, the church has been under persecution. And when you're under persecution you get excited about deliverance. Let me give you a few examples. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 7. Uh, look at this. Let's read it together. So that you come short in no gift, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see the word revelation there? It's the Greek word apocalypse. Apocalypsis. The early church was waiting for the unveiling of the Lord Jesus Christ. They were actually eagerly waiting for Christ to come back again. They just couldn't wait to be delivered from this present evil world. They wanted Christ to come back. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 6. This is a, a big section right here. Paul is writing this church at Thessalonica and he says this, since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you. You know, God is righteous. And I was just reading a verse in the Old Testament that says, because God is righteous, he loves justice. He loves justice. And so Paul is encouraging this church and he's saying God is righteous and he's going to repay the people 
who have caused tribulation in your life. Now he's talking to the church here. So the church was under tribulation and, and, the, and the church looks and says, God, why don't you do something? Why are you allowing the church to be persecuted like this? And Paul says, listen, relax. God is righteous. He's going to repay. Look at verse 7. And to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus Christ is revealed. You see the word revealed there? It's the word apocalypse. Apocalypse. When the Lord Jesus Christ is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, that's when paydays kind of take place. You know, we look at the evil of the world and we say, why didn't God do something? Well, this is when God's going to do something right here. When the apocalypse takes place, the revelation from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking what? What's the word? Vengeance. On those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Wow. Now the church is commissioned to take the gospel and you and I share the good news of the gospel and here the Bible says, listen, there are people that are going to turn down the invitation to turn to Christ. But God is coming and he's going to take his vengeance out on those. And they shall be punished with what? Everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and the glory of his power. Why is the church so important? Why is sharing the gospel so important? This is it right here. The punishment for those who do not receive the gift of eternal life is destruction from the presence of the Lord forever, everlasting. And look at verse 10. And when he comes in that day to be glorified in his saints and to be admired among all those who believe because our testimony among you was believed. It's going to be a glorious day for the Christians when Christ returns. We're, we're referring now to the second coming of Jesus Christ. But it's going to be an horrendous time for those who have not embraced the gospel message of Jesus Christ and have not received him by faith. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13 says... Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and the rest for your hope fully upon the grace that is brought to you at the apocalypse of Jesus Christ. So this word apocalypse is used numbers of times, translated revelation. We want to begin reading now in verse number 9 and look at John's vision. John is introducing himself and he says, listen, I'm your brother and companion in tribulation. Um, these are the characteristics of a Christian. Uh, the church is persecuted and the church does have tribulation. I was just reading online about the tremendous persecution going on right now in China. Go home and look it up. The Chinese government are co is coming down in an unparalleled way on house churches right now because across China, House churches are flourishing. There are churches in houses and they're, they're growing up all over the place. The Chinese government feels that this is a threat to their regime. Uh, there's plenty of persecution to go around. 
uh, John the Apostle here was being persecuted. Who was he being persecuted by? Uh, the Roman Emperor Domitian. Domitian thought he was God, and you can read it, of course. And everybody had to address him as Lord and God back there in the Roman Empire. Uh, they had to say, Caesar is Lord. And that was actually demanded. They didn't have to mean it. They just had to say it. But the Christians wouldn't even say it, that Domitian was Lord. And so there was all kinds of persecution for those who wouldn't say it. And so he says here, listen, you're my brother in tribulation. Many churches down through the ages have been able to identify with tribulation. Um, then he went on and look what else he says the kingdom he says listen we are brothers in the kingdom you and I march by a different drumbeat this world is not our home we're only passing through our treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue we are a part of the kingdom of God we serve him as our king don't we he says listen we're a part of the kingdom and we're looking forward to his earthly kingdom on earth as well. He goes on and he says one other thing, and the patience of Jesus Christ. And really what that means is perseverance in spite of tribulation. The church just perseveres. It just continues. Jesus said, upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. In every generation since then, the church has been here. And will be here until the Lord's finished with the mission of the church. So we're going to be around for a while. Church may not always meet in the same place. Uh, but it'll meet somewhere. It will meet somewhere. Uh, and so he introduces himself. And John at this time was the last remaining apostle. He, I call him the last survivor. He was an old man. He was living out on Patmos. It was an island off the coast of Turkey. And the reason why he was out there is because he was the kingpin. He was the high-profile Christian. He was the last person who had seen the Lord in the way that he had seen the Lord. And they were making an example out of him. And Eusebius, the great Christian historian, said that he was out there on that island uh, as a result of the Roman emperor Domitian. Uh, Victorinus, who was uh, a character that lived not too long after that, said that John the Apostle was uh, out there working in the mines. And so what he did is he took a bad situation. He took advantage of a bad situation. And uh, this is my message for you today. This is what Christians have to do in every generation. We don't get to often create our environment keep out all the bad stuff, bring in all the good stuff, create our little vacuum of goodness in our world. Uh, we have to live in this ugly world. And so we have, a, we have to then make a decision, what are we going to do about it? Are we going to feel sorry for ourselves? Are we going to go around and say, well, listen, things could be better and things should be better and maybe one day they will be better? Or are we going to make, take advantage of our bad situations. That's the decision that all of us can make. 
And, uh, and so what that does is that puts us all on a level playing field. That means no matter what your situation is, I may look at your situation and say, boy, I don't want that. Or you may look at mine and say, I won't trade you mine for yours. Uh, but no matter what situation we're handling, we need to make the decision, I'm going to make the best of this situation, no matter what it's about. And so what he did is he took the opportunity of this exile to Patmos to commune with God, to get closer to God. So he's meeting together here, the Bible says, in the spirit. He's in the spirit. The Bible says that we are to walk in the spirit. Uh, and he has this unique spiritual experience on the day of the Lord or the Lord's day. Now, there are two ways to understand the Lord's day right here. And I'm just going to throw this at you. I don't expect you to do anything with it. Most people believe today that it, this was actually Sunday, the Lord's day. But there is a, an interpretation of this that says that John was transported into the day of the Lord or the day of Jacob's trouble, which is given to us in the Old Testament and which he describes as he writes the book of Revelation. Uh, that uh, he was actually taken there, some miraculous way to see it. Most people, though, believe that it's simply talking about John was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and uh, they believe that that was Sunday. In the didact didacti, the teaching of the 12 apostles, that's an extra biblical writing not long after the time of Christ. Look it up online. Some of you already got it right now on your phone. Uh, the didacte, the teaching of the 12 apostles, it talks about on the Lord's day, we met and broke bread. So there, there was this term that existed from the beginning uh, that Christians traded in the Sabbath day for the Lord's day. The Sabbath day represented the Old Testament the Lord's Day represented the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and they just made a transition from the Sabbath to Sunday. He was uh, caught up, and he saw this vision. And the Lord says, listen, I want you to take, uh, take a pen, and I want you to write a letter to the churches, seven of them. They are in Turkey. I think we have a, uh, somewhat of a picture of the seven churches back there. Let's see. No, the churches. There it is. Okay. Uh, this is, uh, is modern-day Turkey. And way over on the side, out in the ocean, there is this little island called Patmos. And uh, there's the church at Philadelphia, and there's the church at Smyrna, and there's the church at Ephesus. And uh, there they are. Those are the literal churches that John was supposed to write this letter to. And most Bible scholars believe that the reason why he wrote them to seven is because that uh, these seven churches, seven is the number of completion, and these seven churches and the issues that they were facing are the issues that churches will face down through the generations because human nature doesn't change. Human nature doesn't change. People change, but uh, names change, but human nature doesn't change. And so uh, he says, listen... Uh, he sees this vision 
Look at verse 13. In the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man. Now that's an interesting designation right there. The Son of Man. The Son of Man, I understand, is used 81 times in the four Gospels. It is our Lord's favorite designation of himself. Remember in uh, Matthew 16, he was asking his disciples this question, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And the Son of Man depicted his earthly mission. The Word became flesh. So whenever John saw this vision, he said this one was like the Son of Man. He was in the midst of the seven lampstands, each one representing a church. John stands among, Jesus stands among the churches. Uh, churches are special to him. Uh, in, this is the church that uh, the Lord Jesus planted in the world to beam out his light until Jesus returns for the church. Uh, and churches have been meeting together in groups ever since. I'm humbled always to uh, drive out through the country or down through our little town and look at little churches. They're sprinkled all over the place to think that there's a center of light right there and that there's a center of light right there in that church. And every now and then I get to meet a number of pastors and sometimes pastors are intimidated by other pastors who have more than they have and sometimes I'll meet another pastor and they'll say, I'm just the pastor of the little church down there somewhere out there. I almost always correct them and I say to them, listen, there is no such thing as a little church. No such thing as a little church. Every church is big with God in it. Jesus said, where two or three are gathered together in my name, I'm there. God does big things in little churches. And I always take, like to take the guy who, who's out there at the crossroads of nowhere, nothing, in his little church, He's faithfully preaching the Bible. That inspires me. It really does because God does big things in those churches. You know that? He really does. He sends missionaries out of those churches and he changed people's lives through those churches. Uh, always remember this. There is no small church. Uh, everything, uh, almost every important decision I've made as a person has been made in the church. I accepted Jesus Christ in the church. I met my wife in the church. I dedicated my life to preach in the church. And I think that if I can still walk a little bit longer, I'll go the distance in the church. The church is a good place to be. It really is. Uh, if you don't expect perfection, if you exercise forgiveness, and you develop a servant's heart, if you come to this church and say, listen, I'll serve, I'll be a part, you'll, you'll do well. But if it's all about you, you probably won't do well. Uh, the church is a good place to be a part of because it is the Lord's organization. He started it. And he said, listen, it's going to be around a long, long time. It may not meet in this location, but it's always going to be around. Uh, and he said, I'm going to be with you to the end of the world and, or the end of the age. And here he is among the, the seven uh, lampstands. 
Someone has said that here in this passage that we've just read for you in Revelation chapter 1 is the only description of Christ in his exalted form in the Bible. So can you see now why the book of Revelation had the first line is Apocalypse? To pull away the veil, to show Christ as he is in his glory. The exalted Christ, this is it. This is what we're looking at right here. First of all, he doesn't look like Isaiah described him in Isaiah chapter 53. Remember, Isaiah said, There is no beauty that we should desire him. It is believed that when Jesus walked the pages of, of the earth preaching, there was nothing special about him. He wasn't, you know, you, you see all sorts of pictures about Jesus. That we shouldn't be too excited about those pictures because we don't know what he looked like. You see some pictures, he looks real masculine, and others he's real handsome and all those things. But uh, Isaiah said, listen, there's no beauty uh, in, his, uh, in, in his appearance. There's nothing beautiful about his appearance. He, he's not a person to be attracted because of his appearance. But here we find him as he, as he presents himself to the church. Because a lot of times we feel like we're, we're losing the battle rather than winning the battle. And Jesus said, listen, I'm with you. If you're a church, if you're one of these lampstands, I'm in your midst. Relax. First of all, we see Christ in his robe, a long robe as a token of dignity and honor. I like the vision of Isaiah. Isaiah was caught up into heaven one day and the Bible says in Isaiah 6, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, sitting on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Just think of that. The train of his robe filled the temple. So here we find a long, flowing robe. Uh, who does this depict? Well, Josephus, the Jewish historian, says that it depicts a high priest. They wore long robes reaching to the feet. That's a quotation from Josephus. Christ is seen here in his ministry of high priest. But he's also seen here in his ministry of, as king. No longer was he a criminal on a cross. He was dressed like a king. And I know that some of you know that there are three offices of Christ. Prophet, priest, and king. And when Jesus came the first time, he came as a prophet, calling people to God in repentance. But now he has ascended and he has exalted into heaven. And he has assumed his regalia. All these things that denote a regal king. Um, his hair, his head and his hair was white. In Daniel's vision of, of the Lord coming in Daniel chapter 7, he also said that uh, the Ancient of Days was seated, his garment was white as snow, and the hairs of his head were like pure wool. This refers to the Godhead of Christ. He is the everlasting Father. Eyes like a flame of fire, penetrating lasers, looking into the church. Uh, leaf over to, wow, chapter 2, verse 18. And to the angel of the church, to Thyatira, write these things, says the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet like fine brass. 
his feet were of brass. That speaks of judgment. Jesus himself was judged when he died on the cross for your sins. He underwent judgment, feet of brass. But he's coming, listen to this, he's coming to walk through the world in judgment, feet of brass. Brass can withstand heat. He first of all walks through the church to exercise chastening authority over sin in the church. I was always kind of mystified by 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 17. It says, For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will the end of those who do not obey the gospel be? Uh, as, you, as this whole sermon series develops, when we get over to chapter 2 and chapter 3, we find Christ as he walks through the churches in judgment with his feet of brass, and he points out areas in the church that need to change. Uh, first of all, he walks through the church. Then there are seven stars in his right hand. Who are they? Uh, these seven stars, uh, the, the Greek word is angelos. Uh, they are messengers. Most of the time they are, um, they are the they are translated as angels. There's a sharp two-edged sword, Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Charles Spurgeon said one time, there is no handling this sword without cutting yourself. Why does Charles Spurgeon have all these good things? He was a deep thinker. He really was. He said it was a two-edged sword and you couldn't... There's no, there's no place on the sword that you can touch without getting cut. And I thought, wow, isn't that so true? The Bible is the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. And is there any place in here that we will not get cut? That we will not uh, be cut as well? Uh, his countenance was as the sun shining and his credentials... We're given, and as I mentioned in verse number 18, he is the person of the resurrection. He has the keys of Hades and death. What does that mean? Keys are a symbol of authority. Christ decides who lives and dies and when. Jesus has the key to the future. So John's response was this in verse 17. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right, his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. Um, I fell at his feet as dead. You know, the world boasts of standing on its own two feet instead of falling at the feet of Jesus. But whenever we are overcome with the glory of Christ, it is a good, good thing to be at the feet of Jesus. It really is. John here, the last surviving apostle at this time, was out on Alcatraz, out in the ocean. Uh, but Jesus is known most intimately in suffering and trials. And I'm sure that people who knew John felt sorry for him, and they said probably, poor John, They've he's out there on Alcatraz, poor John. And John probably said in response, if you only knew what was going on in my life, I wouldn't trade this 
for the world because I am intimately connected with Christ my Savior. This is the message of the vision of Christ. And so when we get discouraged and we think uh, we may not be winning, uh, we come to the book of Revelation and we say, listen, we know who wins. It's Jesus. He's the king. And we are his subjects. Amen? We are his subjects. And so this is the encouragement that we get from the revelation, the apocalypse of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, just look at me. Let me show you who I am. We are on the winning side. Let's bow our heads in prayer. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed this morning, uh, I, I know probably it's uh, trite to say that some of the people in our church have been discouraged and wondering, you know, are we winning or is this all an illusion? Is this just all words? Well, let me encourage you this morning. Jesus Christ is the priest. He is the king of heaven. And uh, we are in his kingdom. And as a church, we are one of his lampstands, just one of literally millions, I think, churches all over the world. We're just one. Uh, but he's here with us. And uh, he said, listen, I'll stick with you. Don't worry about it. When, the, when it gets dark, I'll be your light. Uh, and when the pastor gets faint, I'll lift him up. You just keep following me. And we will follow him all the way into heaven. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for the apocalypse, the unveiling, the revelation, the manifestation of Jesus that we have just glimpsed at shortly this morning. We pray that our hearts will be so enthused at this revelation that we will charge uh, and do our and do the charge that you gave us to do to preach the gospel. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's stand together as we sing our invitation song this morning. And as we sing on this, this our invitation song, if you'd like to come and pray about anything this morning, just feel free to do that as we sing together.
Good afternoon. I know I'm up here again. Um,